Hi, welcome back to the Side of a Stronger podcast. If this is your first time here, welcome. We're here to talk about everything volleyball for recreational players and everyone that's interested in the sport that we love. Today we have a very special guest. We have Tyler Shearhorn. He's uh, one of our local uh, local legends here. He's played not only at the varsity level, but also at the professional level and now coaches down in California. But you're going to hear all about that. A lot of good takeaways today. Everything from what it's like to be a varsity uh, and professional athlete to long-term athletic development and everything in between. So without further ado, let's get into it. Hi, Tyler. That's how I've been starting all of these. It's been working so far. So um, for those of you who don't know who Tyler is, come on, get on our level. Uh, but uh, Tyler, what's your, give us your elevator pitch. Who are you? Who am I? I am, I like to think a nice guy, just a guy born and raised in Canada, uh, six foot seven and a guy who loves volleyball. I've been around the sport of volleyball since, you know, when you try out an elementary school, you make team in grade five and then it got a lot more serious in grade nine and uh it took me to you know travel overseas playing professionally and currently in california coaching full-time for the academy volleyball club so but yeah, you can always a, you can always you know, tell the modest quick. people because they go yeah i just you know i played overseas and now i'm in california and uh yeah it's cool as <laughs> opposed to other people be like yeah, I'm an international star, which you know we are, and uh, yeah. So the modesty's coming through already. Um, what's just so we can get all this out of the way? What what's your academic background aside from academic? Yeah, so I went to university at Queen's University in Kingston, Ontario. I went for physical and health education and got my degree in that because I've honestly, sports has always been. Uh, massive passion of mine and volleyball specifically. So I went to school with the intention of learning how to be the best athlete possible and came out as a better coach, a better educator and so forth uh, in the world of like kinesiology. Nice. And then when I came back from my professional uh, volleyball career, uh, I was doing some coaching um, stuff overseas as well. But then when I came back to Ontario, I went to the university of Trent and got my bachelor of education. So then I am certified to be a teacher for intermediate and secondary, the high school age group for phys ed and biology. Amazing. Yeah. Um, I'm always curious about this because I don't know. I grew up in Ottawa Valley, rural side and volleyball wasn't a, well, it, it's not a huge thing in Canada to start with in my mind. And it was even smaller in there. So did you have somebody that, um, that got you into volleyball or somebody you looked up to a coach, family member or something like that? I think like getting into the sport, like I did everything. Like I was soccer, basketball, volleyball, uh, track and field, like everything. I just wanted to be active. Um, but when it came to volleyball, we found early success, I think in my elementary school. And, you know, at that time I'm just, you know, a six foot two, six foot three, grade eight kid that's tall and tipped the ball every time was not good in any, uh, you know, spectrum. There was guys on the team much better than me. And, uh, but yeah, we found success. And, um, obviously with early success, you think, oh, this is fun. We like winning is fun. Yeah. And then in grade nine, it was the first week of school and there's the grade nine tryouts and the senior team head coach and our guidance counselor came up to a group of us grade nine kids. So me and a few friends that went to the same high school 
And he's like, Hey, there's, you guys should play club. And we had no idea about club, but I knew more volleyball was <laughs> more better. Yeah, that's yeah. Uh, bad English, but it was good. And then that was a club team in Coburg, uh, named the Northumberland breakers. You know, the group of us were all said, we're going, I remember the I breakers. go to the tryouts <laughs> and, uh, none of my friends were there. None of them came. I was the only okay. one. And, uh, I don't know if it was to prove a point or whatever, but I, I loved it. I stuck it out, even though none of my friends were with me. I went to the tryouts alone and, and then here we are. Here so. we are. I've got a funny reverse story on that. My, I had a coach around the similar age, actually, I think it was grade eight or something. And, uh, I was, you know, fine. I could bump the ball backwards over the net basically. So, you know, you're a superstar in grade eight, um, <laughs> but, uh, he was like, Hey, you should go try out for the fun of it. And my parents, and at the time I was short and a bit heavier set and they're like, Oh yeah, he's never going to make it. So, you know, we'll just drive out 45 minutes and go to this tryout. And it turns out that everyone made it th that year because we didn't have enough people. So then that oh. started me on this quest and this, this kind of line later on, which worked out fantastically, but it was, uh, it was more of an accident than anything else that it got me into it considering I'm a, I'm a measly six one. Um, so I don't have the height advantage. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, so awesome. Happy accident. Happy accident. Yeah. That's amazing. So uh, you touched on um, a couple details about your, your professional past and your volleyball experience, but maybe we can just make a nice clear timeline for those that are interested. And the whole, the whole reason I want to hear from you is you've done what a lot of people I imagine would like to do. Um, and a lot of our audience is going to be the kind of recreational side of things, but all those people have kids uh, that may or may not have aspirations to do post-secondary and collegiate and everything after that. So I'd love to hear more about um, some details on how that happened for you. Yeah. So it was, how old was I? I was about 13 years old. So that would be elementary school. And uh, my cousin, um, Ryan Vandenberg, he was playing in the OUA um, or about to be. And then he told me that there's a path that you can go and, you know, play professionally, um, and like make money playing volleyball. And, you know, to a kid that's like, what you can do that. Yeah. Um, so it was kind of just a dream. And I remember my brother and I both talking about it. I have a brother who's two years younger and also phenomenal at volleyball. And at the time, you know, we're not that great, but, uh, we had that dream and, you know, we write it down. We were told, you know, for goals, write them down and you can achieve them. And so basically put me on a path. I worked hard in club. And then when I got to university, that was always the goal was I'm going to spend five years here at Queens. I'm going to become the best volleyball player I can. And then you get an agent, uh, in my fifth year, got an agent. And then you just kind of hope, uh, cause it's, a, you know, it's not the nicest world in the sense of trying to get a contract and everything. Cause, uh, you have to wait, you know, usually during the summer. And if you're not, you know, a team level athlete, you often aren't getting your contracts, you know, nice and early. So you can plan for the entire summer and like, where am I going and yeah. what should I bring? And, um, instead you usually get that contract in later July, maybe early August and training camps in August. So, uh, you can get a call one week and then you fly out that same week. Um, but I was pretty fortunate. My agent was great. And I was able to get my first contract in Austria on a, in the first league on a great team uh, that had big aspirations. So that was, I guess that would all be in 2016 after I graduated university. And then all of a sudden that just continued every summer. It was the same thing. You just look for contract, you uh, see what the experience is and then you stay and play and 
So then I finally, uh, I guess, finished the career in off the championship in 2019 and then came back, I guess, right before the pandemic. So I got pretty lucky that way. Yeah. So are these contracts usually annual or how's that work? Yeah. Like for my first one, I signed a one plus one, meaning it's a one year guaranteed and then you have a player option. So I uh, decided to uh, terminate my player option, go back into free agency to see what was there. And then, but often volleyball is one of those weird ones. Cause like, I love NBA and all those other amazing sports we have here in North America. And, you know, they sign like five-year contracts and in the volleyball world, even yeah. at the highest level, they're just signing like one, two years. And then there's a lot of movement. Like even the best players in the world, you'll be like, Oh, they're in Italy. And then all of a sudden you'll hear now they're in Russia. And you're like, what? But even the lower levels as well. Like, Usually it's a one-year contract. They see what happens. And sometimes you sign extensions, sometimes you don't. So That's super interesting. Do we have any idea why that is? Like why it's so different from other sports? Yeah, I, I honestly don't know. Like I, I so it has to be something on the business aspect, I would yeah. imagine. Like something with money, something with, you know, you don't get tied down in case there's, and because maybe there's more volleyball people just coming through the system and even more now that North Americans are also like just hopping over to play in Europe or wherever, I think, yeah, they just want new and exciting and fresh. And, but yeah, you'd think, I think long-term and in our sport, if it needs to grow, it's going to have to be like one major league and larger contracts and yeah. more stability. Cause, uh, that's one thing with volleyball right now. There's just not much stability. Like you just uproot your family that was sometimes good. within a year or two. And that's, uh, yeah that's not easy on people. And that's why no. some people leave the sport early. Right. Yeah, no, for sure. That's interesting stuff. I, I I've been talking to a buddy of mine, Josh Roberts, that's getting into that, that realm. And uh, I've learned a lot already, but every time we, every time we talk about stuff like this, I just realize how much I don't know about the kind of professional league and Keaton and I have talked about it a little bit and all that kind of fun stuff, but it's just, it's a whole new world out there. And yeah. you wouldn't, unless you're in it somehow, whether you're in like the collegiate system or whatever it is, most of us have no idea it's even out there, mm -hmm. which is wild. Because it can be sport. it can be different for within the experience. So, like if you say, "Hey, I'm a professional athlete," like even like in my own like ho family household, like my brother played in you know first league Poland, first league France, first league Germany. Like that d experience can be very different than someone playing in second league in a different country, right? Like it's yeah. uh, um. It's yeah. I guess not all contracts are also made even, right? Some people yeah. are have contracts that are like, I'm just happy to get overseas and enjoy, and other people are like, no, this is my life, and I'm doing very, very well. Yeah, and th that was kind of my follow up question. What do the like financially? What do the contracts kind of range between? Like we know that the, the yeah, NHL heard, and stuff gets yeah. crazy, but no, hundred percent. I think it's definitely not what uh, NHL or NBA guys are True. making, but there are on the high end, there are people making like a million euros, which is, you know, oh. over a million Canadian. And, um, there is also a lot of, uh, incentive stuff. So like if you win top scorer at a tournament or top attacker, then you can also be getting thousands because of that. Uh, and you know, they might put in your clause, like if you win championship, you get bonus. If you make the finals, you get a bonus, whatever. Sure. Um, but then there's also the, <laughs> that's the optimistic end of the spectrum, which yeah. is like, you know, uh, less than 1% of volleyball, way less than 1% of volleyball players. But uh, it's the other end is like, they provide you like a couch to stay on and mm -hmm. that's kind of it. Like your housing and you have to figure it out. 
Um, that's the lowest end that I've heard. And, you know, you have people that are living off just a couple hundred or whatever, just to give them something. So they're yeah. not losing money each month, uh, drastically, but yeah. And again, it's whatever the person wants. Like I've talked to a lot of aspiring athletes that want to go play pro and, you know, for some of them, you give them the harsh reality of like, Hey, <laughs> this is probably the contract you're looking at. I'm just being honest. Or you have other people that are, have multiple contracts just being handed to them that are all very enticing. And, and some contracts look different because the dollar can be worth a different amount in different countries. Right. So yeah. you think, Oh my goodness, I'm making so much in <laughs> this uh, nice country. And then it's like, Oh wow. How much is the cost of living in Switzerland or whatever it is? Yeah. And uh, so it's, you gotta make sure you do your exchange rates and everything as well. When yeah. No, it's super interesting stuff. Um, I feel like we could go on that for a long, long time, but yeah. <laughs> uh, there's other things I want to ask you about. Um, so getting into the, the, the professional coaching experience that you've had. Um, so since you've been an athlete, getting back into the, the coaching sense of things, uh, what has your experience been there? And we can, we'll, we'll dive into a bunch of things within that. Yeah. So I guess I'll just recap a little, my coaching journey. Like mm -hmm. I, was thrown into coaching a little at uh, 16 or I guess 15 years old. I was on the beach, just starting to learn how to play beach volleyball myself. And my coach at the time was like, Hey, you should coach the uh, lower division. And these athletes had more experience than me. And I was just thrown in because <laughs> I was tall and like somewhat mm -hmm. athletic and could do something. And so it was like, Oh yeah, you must know about coaching. And I didn't, but the coach was adamant that if I was forced into the kind of the fire and then, I would learn to coach pretty quickly. And it, that would in turn make me a better athlete, which is a life lesson I've taken this whole time where my own coaching philosophy is like create self-reliant athletes that are basically just coaches themselves. Mm -hmm. That's how you create the best long-term athlete. Um, if you give them X's and O's and tell them every single thing to do early on, they'll be great when you're around. But what happens as soon as you leave, that's yep. not long-term, but so Sorry for that. Uh, no, intro, go, go, but go. <laughs> that when I was, you know, 15 years old, that's how it started. And then when I went to Queens university, I, or even in high school, I was helping out with the elementary school, but at Queens, I started helping out with the local club team there, uh, which is formerly known as Pegasus, but now is the, uh, the rock. Um, if it's, I'm correct. Yep. And Again, great. I got to coach the 17 uh, U girls and 18 U girls age groups, which was awesome. Um, and it also really helped with community. I was big on that because they would always come to the matches and we'd talk about like, how did I play? And then it'd be fun when they got to critique me, telling me everything I did wrong. Um, and also held me to a high standard as an athlete. Cause I was like, okay, I gotta be in my ready position all the time. Cause if I'm caught standing up or something, they're gonna, they're watching. Yeah. They're watching. Right. You got so like 12 was, eyes on you too. Yeah, exactly. Warm. It was uh so I loved it and it was great. It made for good atmosphere and good uh, community. And then when I went overseas, when I signed the contract, I told my agent like, Hey, I can help out coaching with youth age groups. If that's, you know, maybe more enticing for, uh, uh, clubs out there to sign me. Mm -hmm. And that happened in Austria. I got to coach the, uh, one of the younger boys age groups and that it blew my mind. Cause it was like, I had only coached in Canada, so I didn't know as much, but like over there, um, like they play four against four at that age group, like really? it's on a s smaller net, smaller court. Um, and even the younger age groups were two against two younger than, and in between that was three against three. And then it goes to six on six. 
That's and, very interesting. Yeah. And, but then I took away so much stuff that I absolutely loved about their youth development in Europe overall. I was lucky to have a Polish uh, coach with me in Austria. And uh, I asked him a lot of questions. I was just like trying to learn as well as along with, you know, my own professional career, trying to get better. And um, that allowed me just to learn so much about like, why do we do everything we do in development? And are we doing everything right in Canada? And but if you take, you know, all the things from different places and it was the same, I played in Luxembourg for two years and same thing there where I'm learning about, and it was co-ed and they were, you know, younger age groups. And I'm thinking, okay, what are the benefits with this? Like, we're so, it's so different here in Canada. Um, and now that I'm coaching full-time in the States, I have, you know, 18s tournament last weekend. And then I have my 12s team is this coming up weekend and all different rules, right? Like there's all the libero rules, like, you know, these 11 year olds have liberals already and uh, really? all the libero substitutions. And, um, it like, it's very eye opening. but you, as a coach, it's great to be put in these different environments. Cause you just, you have to learn, you have to grow and adapt. And we tell our athletes to do that all the time. And, uh, it'd be pretty hypocritical if as coaches, uh, we didn't do yeah. the same. So I, guess I went on a tangent there. I don't know if that even answered your question. About I coaching, love but, tangents. Uh... No, um, <laughs> let's tangent off the tangent. Uh, so you mentioned there's so many differences between the long-term athletic development stuff. Um, what, what did that look like aside from, you know, you mentioned mm -hmm. the co-ed stuff and how the well, amount I... of players on the court was different. Yeah, no, I think the biggest thing would be that they play on the smaller court with less athletes. Mm -hmm. And at first I was like, Holy, like they're not going to learn like what a middle is until, you know, they're 15, 16 years old. And then I thought about it and I was like, that's the best thing ever. Yeah. Right. Cause I, my big thing was, I always told indoor athletes, like go play beach in the summer, just do it because whatever your weakness is, it gets exploited there. Oh, yeah. like, Oh, you have no ball control and can't pass. You're getting served and you can't get to work shot. on that the whole, Bye -bye. Ex exactly. Right. So it just works on so many things. But then when I watching these super young athletes play two against two, and I'm like, we do this in practice all the time because it's a great way to learn, but they're doing it like as their actual tournament days. So it's just like two V two tournaments that can fit like, uh, two little courts on our normal court. And yeah. it's, it was awesome. Like the athletes there were just learning how to do everything, becoming so versatile and like no specialization at those age groups. And I really think that leads to, cause you have no idea, especially in the boys side, like they could have just this massive growth spurt and all of a sudden it's like, Oh, you're a middle, but you're a middle that knows how to control the ball. That's crazy. Yeah. Or middle um, knows how to set. <sighs> yeah. Oh boy. And the coach, like I find as a coach, like I try to make versatile athletes cause you never know the situation, especially like if there's a rolled ankle or something in the tournament, you're like, Hey, remember that time? Like get, you're on right side, you're on left side, you're like switching all around. And I think it, that long-term athlete development when you're teaching them that they can do anything and everything it's just it's so special right yeah. because as a coach i think we say it but then all of a sudden it's that toxic element of winning as much yeah. as it's, it's my favorite thing in the entire world is winning no, but yeah. if we're sacrificing development to do it and you know oh hey tall kid uh right now you can't pass worth a you know like. <laughs> worth a poop <laughs> and uh it's they are allowed to just they have to pass with that yeah. other mindset. You can't just hide them or take them out. Yeah. And it's, I think it's just great for the sport. Yeah. And I think it's a big mindset piece too, right? Like you get a lot of middles by 17, 18, you here, and they, all they say is, you know, I can't pass. I can't pass. I can't pass. Mm -hmm. 
Whereas if they've been exposed more and put in situations where they had to, um, they wouldn't have that mentality and they wouldn't be as like just afraid of it. And that's why I love the, the uh, in Ontario, the tall maples program. Mm-hmm. I was fortunate enough to work with them. Um, I forget which year it would have been 2018, maybe 2019. I don't know. But um, when I went up to North Bay with them and did the tall maples program, I was like, this, this is it. Like, this is amazing. And the athletes there were like, <laughs> I thought it was hilarious when they made it. And I heard about it. I was overseas at the time, but they were like, uh, you know, you had to be a certain height requirement to make the tall maples. Oh. And that, like that was the, basically the only protocol. Yeah. And so we get to this uh, camp and you know, I'm like, okay, it's volleyball we're teaching, but you have all these athletes that are like, yeah, my coach never lets me go in the back row. My coach never lets me receive. And you're talking like, we're not talking about like uh, 23 year old athletes or anything like that. Uh, yeah. you know, they're training to win. We're talking about youth, like yeah. these athletes that just want <laughs> to just, some of them just wanted to set, you know, yeah. but he's six, six. So you guess what? You can't, you're, set. Middle. Uh, you're our middle. Yeah. And it's like, what? And so yeah. that program I think is just awesome because you were just instilling confidence with these other things. Like, Hey, like, um, just teaching them, you know, playing in the back row. Like it's just something that was really, really fun. So they all had to play all the positions and, you know, middle obviously was the one that they were <laughs> most accustomed to for most of them, but yeah, no, it's great. That's a, also a great program back here for long-term athlete development. Amazing. Very cool. Yeah. It, it, again, wouldn't know anything about the Austrian uh, volleyball program. So this is really cool to talk about. Mm-hmm. So tying into, you know, the next tangent, um, I want to ask this in the most, less, the least cheesy way possible, but <laughs> I want to talk about your pillars as a coach and how those have been derived from your experience as an athlete, but also your experience as a coach in these different countries and these different exposures. Um, yeah. What was the first part? Sorry, my your, what, your as pillars a as a coach. My your, pillars. Your training ah, philosophies. Okay. Yeah, sorry, so. I heard my I heard my colors as a coach, and I was like, my color personality. Okay, we're doing a personality <laughs> test. Okay, red right now. Red. So we both got red. Canadian. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Canadian. Represent right. Um. Oh, the pillars of coaching. So, yeah, that's a. I guess it's a loaded question. It's a big question. I think, Take it however you want. Yeah, pillars of coaching. So if you go towards like your philosophy, and the good news is that. I think as coaches, sometimes we stick with one and it's like, this is it, but there should be some pillars, but our philosophy should always be changing, right? Cause our sport is changing and uh, the world is also changing around us. So it's good to definitely be open to and receptive. Um, but the, the few biggest things are that the psychological part of coaching is the largest one by far. Like you hear people say like, oh, the game is like 90% mental, but I'm not going to put a statistic on it. But I think psychological affects the you know physical component, tactical component, and technical components. Um, so I guess those are your main pillars usually on a thing. I would put psychological right in the middle of it and connect them all. Mm-hmm. And then you go down uh, from there. And I think psychological, the big word for me is confidence. Like confident athletes, you have to be confident in your ability. And if that's one of my pillars, the word confidence I like to split that up into two different sections. So confidence being it's both self-esteem and self-efficacy and self-efficacy is a weird word, but basically just meaning the belief in your ability to do something. So when you practice a serve, like you have to believe like you can serve it over the net and you do that by 
practicing and serving over the net. So when you get in a game, you believe you can do it. And then self-esteem being like your self-worth and how much you actually like, like about yourself, Mm -hmm. um, which is a hot button topic, obviously in our society and culture, just like, you know, with social media and everything, but having that high self-esteem, like believing like, Hey, I am great. Like I'm a great person. Like my personality is great. I'm nice. All these things. And if you combine those things, you have confidence within our sport. And then, yeah, then it just kind of leads into, you know, discipline, hard work, effort, everything like that. But you have to touch upon the prior parts to it. You can't just work hard in a gym and get a thousand reps in and think, okay, that's good. Like I get to, I'm good now. I've upgraded to level two. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Like it's the psychological component is way bigger, right? Because you've seen, I'm sure you've seen many athletes or know them that, you know, in practice, they're like, you know, bop, bop, dimes all day, like bouncing, all that stuff. And as soon as the game day comes, it's like, we did not train with pressure in our environment or we did not train with the fact that, you know, my team looks to me to score and we did not like Mm -hmm. all that kind of stuff. So training your athletes in order to be confident in their team and their skills and their execution. That's, I think the biggest pillar in my coaching philosophy. Yeah. Love it. Um, I I like kind of learning by contrast. So this, and then this total curveball towards Tyler. So good luck with this one. Um, (laughs) Could you think of examples in which um, teams and coaches wouldn't be starting with that psychological component and maybe skipping it? And like, what, what could that look like? What would it look like in a practical side? Like, um, and what could happen if we don't deal with that specifically? Yeah, totally. I think, the easiest way for me is when you just do some mundane activity, you know, um, over and out, like a block practice format where it's like you have someone toss you a ball, which, you know, we can get into the details of that, but you know, you should toss it over the net. So it's more realistic, yeah. but anyways, so if they just toss you a ball right in front of you and you just pass straight on, straight on, straight on, straight on. And it's like, you're working on the technical component. So you're putting technical first, like let's say you're just talking about platform the whole time. So it's just platform, platform, rep, rep, but the rep's not game-like and the rep has no processing or thinking as a part of it. It's just mundane. Like you're just, you might as well go do a workout at that point. Right. Because, and you know, workouts are great because you I was going to say, don't stronger. bash my workout style. No, no, no. <laughs> like workouts. Exactly. Workouts are absolutely amazing and a huge part of our sport, yeah. but it's not, you know, not psychological is not the, you're not trying to, you know, beat someone out of game when you're lifting your weights to try and get stronger mm-hmm. for the physical component, which again is the other part, but it's, so when you're doing a mundane activity like that over and over and over with no thinking, no processing, nothing, then you're not putting psychological first at that. And you could be like, Oh, and you know, and I've, I've done it myself. I think I would be hypocritical if I said, I've never done uh, drills like this, where it's like, okay, you just got to push through, push the mental, like uh, you're getting tired. And it's like, no, they're getting bored. Like yeah. it's a, uh, you, you aren't giving them a real task to think and a real task to process. They're bored. They're not <laughs> like, not give them engaged. something where, yeah. and you can't give them overload. You can't just be like, okay, here's a million things. Here's our game plan XOs. And here's the opponent, blah, blah, blah. And then they're like, well, coach, I'm now I'm burnt out. I'm overloaded. This is overwhelming. I'm overstressed. I am all these things shut down. Uh, but you need to find that wherever the comfort zone is and take one step outside of it. And then Mm -hmm. you need to find it again and then do it again, again, again. And that's a psychological, right? Um, 
I don't know if that answers your question no, exactly with the drill, but no, that's a drill you see. And it's like, okay, like there's a lot more stuff you could do to make them push outside their comfort zone. But yeah. Um, we talked about confidence and self-efficacy and I, I love self-efficacy and, um, what kind of tactics do you put into place when you have a player that, you know, is skilled, but their confidence and their self-efficacy sucks? Oh yeah. That's, and I think we see this all the time, right? Where it's like, yeah. you know, they could be like so good. Cause they're like, they yeah. jump out of the gym or they do something amazing, but they just don't really believe in themselves. Mm-hmm. I think that's when the, let's say old school coaching would say like, Oh, they're just, they don't have mental toughness. They just don't have it. Whereas, the athlete mindset. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I think, and there is something to be said about, you know, some athletes oh, yeah. just naturally have things more than others, but mm-hmm. I, this is where in coaching the relationship and the rapport is the most important thing. Cause you can talk about the technical, you can talk about all that stuff, but if you build a relationship and have a strong rapport with the athletes, then they're going to trust you, which is very, very important in your, you know, as a coach athlete relationship. And that's when you can find what are the things that make them the most comfortable as possible in their environment, along with adding the pressure occasionally in that environment. Um, And once you have that, then you might have cues that you say to them that help them relax or help them get into a better mindset um, and then find their way of thinking, but also it allows you to, again, find that comfort zone and just push them slightly out of it. Cause it doesn't happen overnight. Like there's no way if athletes like scared to go in a tournament, you're going to say like one pump up speech and do one drill and be like, we got it. Like, go this full Denzel. Good. Yeah. They like, you need to put them in scenarios where they can find success mm-hmm. while still being a little bit vulnerable. And then it can lead to uh, tournaments. Like I had an athlete this weekend that in the practices, like was doing well for sure. But when we got to the tournament, we put a good amount of pressure in the timeouts on this athlete to be able to, they were spin serving mm-hmm. and their spin serve was at the time inconsistent, but having that belief in the athlete and that trust that you built with rapport, they went, they went to the back line and were able to rattle off a few aces at a crucial time because they, that belief in themselves, like that's the self-efficacy part then their self-worth because as a coach you were building their self-worth and you weren't just pumping them full of you know rainbows and everything and just compliments all the time but you were what you're saying was real and genuine yeah and when that happens then they actually believe you because you're being you're saying the truth you're saying real things and so when you go into that timeout and you're like hey you got this you're the man go be a stud rip on this and ace them Yep. And then, well, then we can get into self-fulfilling prophecy, but uh, yeah. then it happens and you're like, and now you can talk to that athlete. Once it, something does happen in a game, you can just go back to that memory bank. Hey, be like, Hey, remember when you just crushed it? And then that's a good memory. And that's going to be something they can bring back to them. And it doesn't have to be like championship gold medal match of nationals. Oh, yeah. They aced it. It could be in a pool play game and random set at a random time and be like, Remember that time you just ripped an ace and like, yeah, didn't, didn't even have to think about didn't, it. It was automatic. You were in the zone, like just make them at least get one of those memories and then revert back to it. Yeah. There's a really cool book that uh, my, my business mentor gave us. It's called psycho cyber, psycho cybernetics tongue twister. And it's all about <laughs> how the brain is a, a problem solving mechanism. Mm-hmm. And if you give it a target, it'll hit it. 
And the crazy thing is most people don't even know that they're giving their brain a target, but there's always something. And if you give it a target that's negative, that's what it'll work towards. So if you think of yourself as this person that's going to miss, it's going to work towards the miss. If you give it a target, like you're talking about with this positive memory, and this is me, this is the assumption of who I am. It works towards that subconsciously. So really cool stuff. And, you know, again, we can talk for three hours about mindset <laughs> stuff, I'm sure, but that's really neat. Um, and tying into that, uh, you know, we're, we're segueing through the tangent into the next tangent. Let's go with that. Um, <laughs> dealing with failure. How, how do you help athletes to not dwell on their failures? And like you said, bring them back to previous memories. If they're having, you know, a bad day, a bad streak, a bad, whatever it is. Yeah, no, I think when it comes down to failures as a coach, you have to help the athletes understand what are good failures and what are bad failures. Mm. Right. And like I had my 12s team yesterday, we were practicing. And so these guys are just learning, you know, bump set spike and it's amazing. Um, but they would make a mistake. They would try and bump, let's say bump the ball over on one. Mm -hmm. Right. And then they would also make a mistake hitting it on the third attack after a nice bump, a nice set and hitting it into the net. And the athletes were kind of getting agitated with each other when, you know, they did the good bump, they did the good set and then they hit it in the net and they're like, come on, like, you know, saying, come I worked on, so hard. Athlete. I did so well. Like, yeah. Like we did our job. Why didn't you? Mm -hmm. And then, whereas like if an athlete just bumped it into the net, they'd be like, Oh, okay, like, whatever. But then I really wanted to flip the script with that kind of thinking where it's like, mm -hmm. no, like he tried to bump it over. Like he didn't even want to get the set or that like, we're trying to get the hit here. Like this yeah. is volleyball and teaching them that like, Hey, when you just try to bump it over on one, even if you got the point, I'm not getting fired. Like we're trying to develop here. We're not trying to win yeah. this one drill in a practice, um, mm -hmm. on a Sunday evening, we are trying to be the best athletes long-term as we can. And so all of a sudden they figure that out. Right. And they're learning this over, uh, time. And now they're like, they make the mistake on the attacks and they're like, okay, that was a good attacking mistake. Cause you know, I didn't, if I tip it in the net, that means maybe I was being timid or whatever, but if I hit it out the back and I just missed the line or something, coach is never going to get mad at me if I'm trying to aim for a corner and miss mm -hmm. the corner by a little bit. Right. Um, and once they know that, like, oh, okay. And you know, I'm not the type of coach that's <laughs> yelling at 11 year old kids, but there is the difference between, Hey, coach is a little bit disappointed in you oh, not trying your best. Yeah. Disappointment, right. <laughs> Way worse than yeah. being mad. Um, but then coach, Hey, coach never seems to get like, he really encourages, like he's almost happy when I make an error. And once that kind of understanding is for failures, um, it just leads to a better team environment. Cause now the athletes are encouraging, like, Oh, they miss it out the back by a little bit on a big, heavy swing. Everyone's clapping on the team. Like, you yeah, know, all these 11 goodness. year olds fired up for an error, for a failure, but it's because they know he's trying to get better. He's trying to make our team better. Mm -hmm. And when you can create that kind of environment as a coach, I guess then you're just, you're laughing, right? Yeah. So it's a very much a positive. No, oh, that's great. Again, this ties right in. Um, when it comes to creating a culture within a team, obviously this, this positivity and this um, reorientation with good failure sets the tone on the court. That's fantastic. Um, what kind of stuff do you do to create a energetic, supportive team environment as, you know, things are warming up, things are cooling down off the court, team events, that kind of stuff. 
So to create a yeah positive culture, um, this is a hard one, folks. Yeah, because uh, I guess there's so many things that you can do, but mm-hmm. the I think the biggest one is when you're on the court, it's like you need to just really reinforce what are positive attributes, what are negative attributes, mm-hmm. what like I've actually have a few coaches that I you know also look up to, and they have like these, you know, different incentives with their teams. Like some have like, you know, this big like WWE belt that they yeah. give out every week. And it's like, uh, rewarded for maybe not like leader and kills or anything like that, but for the qualities that they're looking for. And each week that person gets represented and the team's fired up for that person because they were able to bring something to the table. And I, th- and then with off court stuff, the biggest thing is just if, they can become, especially the youth age group, sorry, but when they become friends, right? Like if they can really bond and like have believe that the person has their best interests and is supportive of them, that's when you're going to have a very, very successful team. And there's a million things you can do with that. Cause you have to sometimes in those environments be put in situations that are a little uncomfortable. So maybe like, like a high ropes course or something where it's like, uh, you know, I've never done this or they have to do different challenges at um, places that, you know, they've never done before, but they have to figure it out as a team and they might yeah. fail, they might get it, but it allows them in a different con. Like I would always give uh, a team these survival games and mm-hmm. basically, especially online, they were great too. Cause you could just like put them in different zoom rooms or in person, you put them in little groups and, you know, they have to organize like these survival elements to, you know, the, the scenario would be, you know, your plane crashes and you have, 10, uh, objects or things that you got out of the plane, you and your team have to prioritize what's the most important to least important to survive. And so you have the whole team is debating and all this stuff and has nothing to do with volleyball, like absolutely nothing, but no, they're laughing, but they're also like serious. Cause like, you know, and you tell them in the game, the scoring system is, uh, (laughs) if you don't, it doesn't matter what it is, something. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And like, it's, there's no repercussion, but everyone wants to win. That's why you're usually in athle- uh, athletics. And so, you know, they're taking this super seriously and it's amazing. And, uh, you know, if they organize it wrong, then <laughs> there's a chance to get hypothermia and don't make it. Or yeah. then, uh, if they get all the stuff, they're fired up cause they, but they do it together. And then usually leaders come out of it and then natural leaders, uh, with communication. And then you can see that as a coach, like, okay, who's standing up, who's on the back. Like, cause you might have it where, I know a lot of coaches want their best athlete or their top scorer to be their leader. It doesn't always happen like that, right? Like no. it's uh, uh, you want to see what naturally happens within your, your group and your context. Cause that social dynamic is going to make or break a lot of your teams uh, before they even happen. Right. If all of a sudden you're way off on your reading and rapport and relationships with the athletes, um, you can be in for a bumpy ride for sure. Yeah. I kind of like it when the, the captain leader, whatever you want to call it, isn't the top scorer. Just because from a practical standpoint, if your top scorer has a really bad day, all of a sudden in like, say they get in their head or whatever it is, because they're the top scorer normally, then it depends at the age level, obviously, but they could take themselves out mentally in a couple different scenarios. Right. And then if you think about having somebody that's not that leader, then they could take over from that position and say, Hey, get back into it or just organize the team in a different way that doesn't rely on that person scoring all the points. So 
no, I think there's pros and cons to both, right? There's yeah. pros and oh, cons yeah, yeah, to yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, you just want your as long as you make your captain the person that is, you know, great at the skills or qualities or values that you want to embody your team, that's the most important thing. Totally. I think whether it's your a bench player or a starter or whoever it is, it's uh but yeah, it is awesome when I've I've had different teams with different captains and you know, co-captains or single mm-hmm. captains or whatever. And uh they always seem to bring their own flavor, but it's usually pretty great because you also yeah. don't want someone that's just, you know, <laughs> someone that's just a yes person is going to say yes that every like you want someone that challenges you. And yeah. those have, in my opinion, have been like really, really awesome when they're able to like especially ask the question why. Like I encourage my athletes always to ask that question where it's like, obviously there's healthy ways to do it. So if you're in the middle of a practice and all of a sudden you're yelling, why are we doing like, what probably not that, yeah, no. not the healthiest context, but like, you know, then afterwards you're like, Hey coach, can we talk after practice? Uh, yeah. we'll have a, uh, me and the other captain will come talk to you. And then with your assistant coach and you have a question like, why are we doing more of these type drills and blah, 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 or whatever it is. And then you can talk about it. And it's like, you know what? I didn't know you guys were feeling that way and blah, blah, blah. And what gives insight, you, right? Yeah. 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 Was, they're, they're also they're youth athletes. They don't always they're they're not always super forthcoming with information, turns out. Well, especially when like you know you think like, oh, why aren't they just honest and tell me everything? Like it's I, I told them at the beginning of the season they should like I'm open and they have my you know email. Yeah. Like it's crazy and I see them. But like you're talking to a person that needs to get more or is passionate about getting playing time. So mm-hmm. if you are going to question the authoritarian figure uh, about something, then your normal response is, oh, hey, when I tell someone I think they're doing something wrong, they're not usually my best friend the day after yeah. kind of thing. So it's, yeah, as coaches, we have to realize that we're in that position. And if you think you're just buddy buddies with all your athletes, I think that's also super dangerous, right? Yeah. Like you have to be the coach, but also understand that you're, the coach, right? If that makes any sense. So yeah. it's, uh, it's definitely something that you can't just, you know, wake up and do like, you have to really think about it and reflect on it. And again, reflection is a huge buzzword in our sport, but whether it's self-reflection for the athletes or self-reflection for the coach or team reflections, like you need to reflect and grow and learn and get better. Love it. All right. I don't want to hold you too long. I have one more question. Um, if so, it, let's just assume that there are a couple of youth athletes listening into this wonderful podcast and they've made it this far. We need to give them a, a couple of nuggets. What, what advice would you give, let's say a 14 U athlete that has asp- long-term aspirations to take a similar path that you've done? Oh, nice. Um, I guess the, one of the biggest ones for sure is be the most coachable athlete in the gym. Like mm-hmm. when it comes to, and what does the word coachable mean? I guess it's like, ask the questions like, Hey coach, what can I do more of like an athlete that thinks the coach has to come to you for you to get better. Like, don't think that ever, like yeah. think, ask them questions, ask them. And then when it comes to like getting recruited by universities or anything like that, email them, like, don't think it's like a movie where they just come yeah, to it's, you it's not passive. and yeah, like it's, it's, and that's, something that's fully in your control, right? In volleyball, we talk all the time about control of controllables. Like your ability to communicate is super controllable. So that's something you can do all the time. And ask those questions and ask them in positive ways where it's like, 
Hey, I really enjoyed like this drill. What do you think I can do better next time? And like, learn all the things that you can do to improve and then never try and put yourself in a little box, right? Like when it comes, let's say, uh, I was a middle and I was, you know, six foot seven in grade nine. And it was like, okay, you're going to be at the net, but I wanted to be in every defensive drill. And I wanted to be hitting from the back row all the time. And I wanted to set, I wanted to. And so I was lucky that versatility was one of the things I wanted to be my calling card. I wanted the coach to be like, I can put you literally anywhere and our team will be better for it. Um, and wherever the coach needed me, I would go. So, you know, one, you know, you're playing team Ontario as a middle blocker. And then all of a sudden in September, you're playing Queens university as their right side. And it's like, and then even playing pro, they're like, okay, we're going to make you as a right side in the back row and middle in the front row. Like coaches want to be able to have every option available. You know, some coaches obviously are, uh, they stick to something if they think it works, but I think the top coaches are very open-minded. And so if you are versatile and able to make them even more open-minded than they would have thought, awesome. So, you know, just cause you're uh, shorter or something, don't be like, well, I'm a libero try setting. Why not? Like yeah. if you have the best set of hands, it's going to be very hard for the coach to be like, ah, you know, you're by far the best that actual running an offense. So yeah. like maybe you'd be a setter, like just keep your doors open. Cause maybe that team has a phenomenal libero and you, still want a spot on it. That's the um, thing, right? Yeah. So versatility and coachability, those would be my, you know, two biggest things. And then expect failure all the time. Like our sport is made around errors. Like we're, it's not a very fun sport, especially at youth, right? So many errors all the time, but expect them. Like that's part of the growing process. And if you, you see failures more as opportunities to learn, uh, then sky's the limit, right? You just work hard, continue. You're going to hit a bunch out. You're going to serve a bunch out, whatever it is, but you're going to get better and better for it if you reflect off of it and learn. So that's probably way too much than just, you know, one or two nuggets, but that's kind of the, the general thing. If you want whatever level you want to reach, whether it's, you know, maybe you're a youth athlete, just wanting to make it to a post-secondary or club team, or maybe you're in post-secondary and you want to go play pro. Like those are all things that you need to make it to whatever level you want to go. And they're transferable to your real life. Like, and I guess I shouldn't say your real life because volleyball is real life. Um, <laughs> but maybe you're going into business or something like that, right? Like those are transferable skills, just being great at communication and self-reflection and all those things. Or just being an employee, right? Yeah, yeah 100%. Yeah. All right. I think that's a perfect, perfect place to cut it. Tyler, where can uh, people find you if they want to uh, learn from you um, and maybe get a hold of you? Yeah. Um, I am at, at coach Shearhorn on Instagram and Facebook. I'm currently working full-time for the Academy volleyball club in Redwood city in California, but, uh, yeah, feel free to also go to www.coachshearhorn.com. Uh, all my contact information is, uh, on there, or you can message me over Instagram or wherever, uh, I do check it often. So, yeah. Feel free to contact me. Even if you think it's the silliest question in the world, like I love talking volleyball. Um, <laughs> it's my full-time job to coach. And that's why we're on this podcast. Like it's these type of reasons, right? Like, so feel free to message me. Like I just said, communication, uh, and coachability is one of the biggest things. So it would be pretty 
hypocritical of me to be like, reach out <laughs> to coaches and learn and stuff and then not be available. So reach out I to want other to talk coaches, about just yeah, not me, other, just <laughs> other coaches. Yeah. Just realize <laughs> there is a time difference. So if you are, you know, if you're from maybe the East coast or something like that, uh, I'm on West coast time now. So, uh, I might be, you know, asleep or you'll be asleep or whatever it is. So, <laughs> but yeah, I will respond and would love to talk volleyball with anyone, whether it's a person that's just getting the sport in youth or it's a recreational athlete that's older or a professional athlete or whoever it is, uh, it's still bump set and attack. So I would love to Awesome. Talk. Perfect. Well, that's a great place to cut it. Uh, for those who have made it this far, love having you on and uh, can't wait to uh, get our next guest. Thanks so much, Tyler, for coming. This has been amazing. Ton of good nuggets and uh, I think there's a lot of really good takeaways. Thank you so much for having me. I really, Absolutely. really appreciate it. All right. Next time, guys.